I'm Scott Stein, and I'm here with Dan Ackerman, and this is CNET Book Club. And this time we're going to be talking about uh, a very big and very exciting new book, uh, one of many that I've read by Neil Stevenson. Neil Stevenson uh, is one of the people that uh, created one of those books that led into uh, what everybody thinks of as kind of cyberspace and uh, the metaverse, Snow Crash. He's written a lot of books since then, including Seven Eves, Anathem. Uh, this book is Fall or Dodge in Hell. Um, thank you for being on, Niels. Thanks. Thanks for inviting me. And I, and I will say, uh, I, I saw Scott, uh, since since it is, is quite a hefty book, uh, Scott tearing through the end of it to make sure uh, he got done this week. And uh, well done, Scott. Yes. Every, yes. every time I saw him, he was carrying around uh, uh, this huge tone with him because he's still a paper book guy uh, I... as opposed to a Kindle guy for the most part. It helps my concentration, but yeah. So I've, I've. Uh, well, that's an interesting question. Are you an are are you an ebook guy, Neil, or are you still a, a traditional uh, tree paper book guy? Yeah, I haven't been uh, reading a lot of ebooks. I um, I either read paper books or I listen to audio books in general. Well, that's interesting. I yeah, I, I have a hard time getting into audio books. But but I love obviously. Uh, well, my paper book obsession is going to bookstores and finding old paperbacks. I was yeah. just in LA and went to yeah. the uh, last bookstore, and they had a whole giant Frederick Pohl collection. And I was like, "Oh, great!" So I, so I picked up a few there. Yeah, I just I like a lot of the books that I've been reading have got maps, pictures, diagrams, that kind of thing. And eBooks have never cracked that nut. They just it's I don't know why it's such a difficult UI challenge um for them to uh to handle but um i've never seen one that really did a good job of it yeah your book um what's really interesting is that throughout it at certain points there's this map that continues to evolve and mm -hmm. and it's really kind of crucial for me for following along and i felt like it kind of represented the, the a lot of things in the book um and obviously I've, i was going back through between the ebook and, and this but having that to to look at did feel like the and even in the book, it's about like a tangible map that that people are making and, and sewing and crafting. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, I've always loved, uh, you know, fantasy and science fiction books with maps in them, uh, you know, ever since Lord of the Rings and Dune and so on. And um, so I've always wanted to do one of those. And the, the new twist or the new wrinkle in this case is that instead of the landscape being a fixed thing that's always been there it starts as a very simple uh set of primitives and kind of gets built out over time into a fully realized world did you uh when did you start thinking of this book in particular was this something that you've had in your mind for a long time or does it go back to cryptonomicon or earlier than that you know uh probably 10 years ish um i've uh uh when i was working on the Baroque cycle, I kind of got interested in John Milton, uh, the author of, of Paradise Lost, and uh, didn't really have room in that series to include him, although he's an incredibly interesting guy who was around at exactly that period of time. Um, but he, um, he and his work were interesting to me, and so for a while I'd been noodling on the idea of trying to go somewhere with that. It took a, a few different forms over time, but then I kind of settled on what eventually became Fall. You, um, I mean, in the past, people, obviously in the world of VR, people keep referring to Snow Crash, and that keeps getting referred to over and over again. In your books, uh, I feel like that, I, that I've read in the last uh, handful of years, uh, I think of you as like the king of, of long time, you know, there's like, 
between Seven Eves and Anathem in this books that uh, that will span years mm-hmm. and then decades and then centuries and and, and maybe eons. Um, is that something that you you think of as like a pretty key theme, or what? What draws you to to keep returning? Because I feel like that's like a centerpiece mm-hmm. thing in a lot of your books now. Well, it's an interesting observation. You know, it's not a conscious thing. Uh, so I, I'm not a very introspective writer overall. Um, so I, um, uh, I think it's true of a lot of fantasy and science fiction that, um, you know, it's all about world building. And um, a lot of times, in many cases, those worlds span long periods of time. So, you know, Lord of the Rings, you know, takes place over a, a short span of time, comparatively speaking. But you can go back and read the Silmarillion, you know, which goes back thousands of years. And um, you can say similar things about uh, Song of Ice and Fire and a lot of other books. So so that's a thing in fantasy and science fiction. And um, it's uh, something that I'm trying to approach from my own angle, I guess. Everybody at HBO who uh, greenlit the Game of Thrones prequel applauds that as well. That gives them another uh, bite at the right. apple, so to speak, on right. that. Uh, you know, Scott and I were, have had this ongoing discussion over several authors and several books. We talked to Cory Doctorow last year about, about Walkaway, um, about uploading of brains and consciousness, which is such an interesting topic and everyone approaches it differently and we have such mm-hmm. a such a philosophical i don't even know if we have a disagreement we did we did we had a pretty big talk about it i time. yeah yeah I, I i am so troubled i find that so much more disturbing than almost anything else in any kind of future fiction or dystopian fiction because because i always interpret it as and and i'd love to hear your thoughts on this i interpret it as you're essentially making a clone or a copy of yourself that gets uploaded but you're still mm-hmm. dead. So to me, this is a terrible, terrible thing, not a good thing. Um, yeah. And 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 I would love to hear where you fall on that on that argument, which we have had over the course of many months and many different books. Well, the the fun thing about this book is that I just get to dodge that argument totally. Um, <laughs> so I'm not even taking a position, really. Um, I'm basically saying, uh, okay, there's there's some factions, there's some people. Who who uh, who are of the view that if you could get uh, an accurate scan of the connectome of the the brain, how all the neurons are hooked up to each other, you could simulate that uh, on a computer, and it would be no different from um, from the original brain. Um, and I'm personally pretty leery of that. I don't, I'd be very surprised if that's actually how it works. But uh, it sounds like a great to my to my writer brain, it sounds like a great premise for a novel. So I just kind of took that and ran with it in fall, kind of regardless of whether I actually believe it. And even if it is a, a perfect copy, I said to Scott just this morning, if we cloned you or made a perfect copy of you and the first you, the one sitting here, gets hit by a bus, well, then mm-hmm. I still have a Scott, but, you're, but Scott's out of luck because he's still under a bus. Yeah, so I kind of, uh, again, dodged yeah, that yeah. one here. This has just been on our mind so much the last six or eight months or so. Yeah, the only way to to do the, the to boot up the, the digital um, copy is by uh, a destructive scanning process. Mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm. Uh, so you can't uh, actually get that information that you need to, to reboot the brain 
without completely vaporizing the brain in the process. What I really love in the book, and I don't want to, I mean, I guess I assume if you're, if you were listening to this, but read the book and then I'm not trying to give anything away, but uh, it, there's the idea of just, you know, that there are unknowns, you know, I, you get the sense that, you know, what happens after this process each time feels sort of inherently unpredictable. People mm -hmm. don't do what they were planning to do when they get there and mm -hmm. people don't really know what's happening inside it. And that, that sense of uh, like great plans gone weird um, yeah. was really exciting. Well, that's always how it is, right? With humans. I mean, um, no, um, no plan survives contact with the enemy. And so, um, uh, and that's a great thing for writers because, um, you know, nothing could be more boring than a book in which everything goes according to the plan. So in this case, really what it's about is how uh, it kind of starts going wrong from the very beginning. Uh, and that introduces all kinds of opportunities in the story to, um, to bring out some conflicts and, and create uh, situations that I hope readers will enjoy reading about. Well, this kind of connects to my bigger thoughts, speaking of things not gone according to plan or the world at large right now, like the, the chaos of 2019, the chaos of uh, everybody feels. Um, I, I read interviews with you, uh, I, or I feel like I'd read reviews going into this. Um, a lot of stuff early on in the book discusses and, and hits on things that, that feel of this moment, the idea of uh, America mm -hmm. that's split apart where memes are uh, destroying the fabric of reality. And it goes mm -hmm. full on down that road with, with, with truthers and, and, and strange uh, history seeming rewritten. But even later on, it seems that the, the fabric of reality as like a consensus uh, built thing keeps getting discussed. Um, you know, do, do you feel like how much of what was going on or is going on in the world as far as, uh, reality that how we stuff, defined it yeah. yeah and that stuff was going in your head and how much do you feel it's gone stranger than than you expected well the part of the book you're talking about I wrote in 2015 early 2016 hmm. and was really patting myself on the back for being Mr. Future predicting guy and uh, and then when uh, the election happened um, I sort of had to come to terms with the fact that, in fact, I was years and years behind what was really happening. Hmm. Um, and um, I'm not the only science fiction writer at the moment to be sort of asking the question, like, what is even the point, right? You know? <laughs> uh, and so um, what I ended up doing was backing away from the project for a while and, and sort of rewriting those parts of it, uh, so that it was less of a, here's Neil predicting the future, and more of a, you know, here's a, a, a metaphorical way of describing um, the situation that actually exists right now. Hmm. Uh, so that's what you're seeing in those parts of the book. It's exaggerated, you know, it's, uh, it's turned up to 11. Uh, but I think anybody who's paying attention to what's happening today can see in those parts of the book, um, uh, uh, echoes of the situation that we're dealing with right now. I mean, if you think about technology uh, that does not work out as expected, plans that go plans that go wrong. I mean, there's, there's no greater analogy for that right now than social media, uh, yeah. which has become a force unlike anything that we could have predicted. Uh, a, a Frankenstein's monster that's that that's grown out of control. It really is. 
does that concern? Yep. Are you? Yeah. Does, yeah, does the future of you know humanity under the under the thumb of social media worry you? It. Yeah. I mean, people talk about dystopian fiction and uh, and and uh, dystopian writers, but um, uh, we're in the dystopia right now because of of uh, of what social media is doing to our our civic institutions and our society. And so, um, uh, and it is, um, it's hard to see a way forward because the companies that, that produce that, that support these platforms have become enormously powerful and wealthy, um, by making, uh, you know, as you say, Frankensteins that, um, basically can't work and can't be scalable on a title, uh, if humans are in the loop, exercising any kind of editorial or curatorial role. So uh, I, I believe that the only way to fix things now is to put humans in the loop and to maybe go out and find some of those editors and journalists who got put out of work by social media and, uh, and give them uh, jobs in, in rectifying these, these problems. But uh, Humans are expensive and complicated, and um, I I worry that uh, it's simply not an economic possibility to do that. Yeah, that would be a giant public works project, uh, and of course, yeah. humans don't humans don't scale as well, especially those with uh, specialized skills. You have that yeah. great idea in that early middle part of the book, in that same meme destroyed world of people having editors that are you know personal editors for all of these feeds, but then you you're also suggesting that what comes with that is that different reality feeds from different editors. And it's almost like that seems to disappear later on as if, you know, replaced by maybe uh, AI or some larger, uh, some larger process where, you know, uh, it's just interesting. Like it's like a, it sounds like an incomplete solution even then uh, in the book. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't sort of want the whole book to be about that. You know, I could feel that possibly taking, taking everything over, um, so there I'm mostly trying to write some material set about 20 years in the future that, um, sets up the rest of the book. And, um, I wanted it to be plausible. You know, I wanted to present a picture of, uh, of what things are like 20 years from now that, that people might, might find believable. Um, but, uh, but it's really there to serve a, a, lar- a, a role in a larger, uh, plot. Uh, one thing, speaking of tech, obviously you've been working in these in this area a lot, uh, and it shows up a lot in the book. Um, augmented reality, and you've worked with with Magic Leap um, and had a role there. You have a role mm-hmm. there. Um, it shows up a bit in Seven Eves. It shows up in this as far as the as a tool, I would say, but it also reflects to the realities that people can perceive. Uh, what what do you think AR means to you at the moment, or where do you see it going? Is it something? that is about the transformation of reality or is it more of a tool in, in a larger system? You know, it's a tool and depending on what content you make for it, it could, could be, could be a reality transforming thing and, and hopefully in creative ways. Um, uh, again, um, I'm, uh, in that part of the book, I'm just trying to have some, tell some story that happens, you know, 20 years in the future. And I, doubt that um, 
people 20 years from now are going to be walking around all the time staring at little glowing rectangles in their hands. Uh, I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but it seems plausible to me that it would be replaced with something, uh, you know, a head-mounted thing that um, that still enables you to see what's around you so that you're not, you know, tripping over the cat and walking into to doors. Um, so, um, so that means augmented reality, um, you know, and without being too specific without trying to uh, sort of cross the streams with, with magically, but I've just tried to depict what I think would be some fairly obvious commonplace uh, applications that, that people might naturally want to have uh, on devices of that type. I mean, it all shrinks yeah. down, just like we've gone from, if you wanted yeah. to talk on the phone wearing a headset, you're wearing two giant you know, earmuffs with a big microphone in front of you, to AirPods, which you really can't even see. Uh, right. You know, the stuff will, and, you know, augmented reality feels the most dangerous of all to me out of all of them, because that's where the deep fakes, uh, the, the current hot, uh, I'm afraid of everything topic of the moment come from. Yeah. It's the reality overlaid with the virtual. So that becomes uh, the, I, the ultimate structure. I don't destructor. see the connection there. I think that, uh, I guess I would take issue with that just in the sense that deep fakes are a two-dimensional video uh, media and uh, are optimized to work on uh, on little rectangular uh, you know video windows on the screen of a phone or a computer. Whereas I mean, AR can display that type of media um, on a virtual screen, uh, but uh, there's no sort of inherent connection between deep fakes and AR or VR, or at least not of today. Uh, the, yeah. the the future frightening possibilities of uh a personalized world in front of you, but you can't tell the real from the fake. Well, one, one hopes that uh, the next generation of, of tech companies will will uh, learn from uh, what's happened in the current generation and um, go about it in a different way. Hopefully. I feel like there's a sense, especially in your writing, <laughs> that like one system gets supplanted by another and then you end up with like uh, un new unexpected complications. Right. Be careful what you wish for. Uh, yeah. One theme also that seems to show up in this book, and again, I think about people making the leap into – so a lot of this book, if you – you know, just to catch up, is people crossing over, seemingly uploaded after after uh, death into another world. Um, but in that process, I think about this a lot with tech, that the limiting factor uh, may be our own biology and mind uh, mm -hmm. and, and, and the speed at which that can adapt. I mean, do you feel that that's – it sounds like something you're wrestling with in, in a lot in this book too – about how much the brain can absorb, what is a brain, and and a lot of times we're in terms of memory and forgetting, and in the real world mm -hmm. too, characters that are aging and finding themselves in situations they didn't expect to be in, despite their uh, intentions. So, is that something that you, you know? I was curious your thoughts. Well, about that's that. yeah. That, those are topics that are explicitly brought up and talked about by characters in this book and. People have different philosophies about that. They have for a long time. So, you know, Kant, you know, for example, basically put together a philosophy that uh, we can't really think about anything at all outside of three-dimensional space and, and time. Um, to talk about anything that, that isn't constructed on that framework is a waste of, a waste of time. Um, and then, you know, others obviously have different views, but um, uh, the, um, um, the, the position that is, comes for a lot of uh, discussion in this book is the notion that 
your brain is uh, is organized in such a way that it's not happy. It can't make sense of the world without um, being embodied in you know a bipedal body with eyes, ears, nose, uh, hands, feet, and so on. And um, and if you try to boot up the brain alone, that's and it's not connected to any of those inputs and outputs, then um, then it's it's not going to work very well. Um, and so a lot of what's going on in this book is people um, who've been booted back up sort of trying to construct uh, bodies to live in, virtual bodies that will make them feel at home. And and also tapping into something that I've, I've been reading some a lot of books about VR and AR in the last few years and thinking about Stanford VR and, and a lot of their, their research and training. And I was thinking about, you know, you have, you have people that are uh, – retraining their uh, their brains later on to try to embody uh, new forms for themselves in advance mm-hmm. of the leap or before the leap or you know the, the idea that we're sort of like adapting ourselves through through some sort of uh, uh, personal training yeah they they've been observing how the process works because they can see people dying being scanned being uploaded and becoming embodied in bit world and and, and so they begin to plan ahead and say, okay, how can we tweak this process? You know, if I want to have wings, if I want to be able to fly in the afterlife, um, then I need to train my brain to expect that to, um, so that uh, when it gets scanned and uploaded, you know, I will, uh, I will know how to fly. It goes to show you that in almost any type of technology, it almost never pays to be an early adopter. Yeah, you want to wait till they work some of the bugs out. Yeah, well, it's, it cuts both ways uh, in this book. There, it's certainly true of of most people, but there's a sort of early cohort of uh, the first people who get scanned and uh, and and uploaded. Uh, it's done using a less uh, a lower resolution procedure. So when they show up, they're kind of not totally human. But uh, their lack of humanness kind of gives them the status of titans or, or gods or monsters, if you will, in that world. Uh, it, it also reminded me of some sort of like sub-debate on like audio formats in a lot of ways. Like it, it was like yeah. it was like analog versus digital and like – not exactly. But yeah, it was like – it felt like people had different format debates Well, it's like the, the big New York Times story just last week about how uh, one of the big music companies lost almost all their – master recordings in a fire but didn't admit it for years so the highest yeah. resolution version and in many cases the only version of a lot of music is just gone forever yeah isn't that crazy it's it's it's, it's unbelievable uh and i'm also i mean i'm always interested in I, I the class consciousness of a lot of um of a lot of this where oh, yeah. only the rich can afford you know a, a technologically aided future which frankly sounds a lot like today uh, mm-hmm. Where we have, whether it's things for comfort or things, uh, you know, it's part of life-saving medicine and technology that are just restricted to the, you know, 1% of the 1%. And the class replication that even happens inside mm-hmm. that world later on, yeah. Yeah, well, we're in a world now where, um, you know, I so I subscribe to a number of newspapers. Uh, you know, I pay my 10 bucks a month or whatever it is so that I can get what I consider to be quality uh, you know, curated, edited news feeds. Um, and, you know, to me, it's worth it. You know, as money enters the picture, it totally becomes a class 
based kind of thing and you know creates a situation where um, people who don't have that cash lying around um, don't have access to as good information. Whether it's in the paper form, which is which is uh, uh, something you you only see in in certain circles now, like buying the actual physical paper, or in the digital form, uh, and you're left with uh, the you know free to read stuff like the little subway newspapers they give away for free, or whatever the online equivalent of is of that, which is basically junk food. Yeah, yeah. So um, so anyway, yeah. It uh, the class. Uh, element is certainly ever present. I have a question that came up when I was reading it towards the towards the middle and the end, which you know a lot of this involves uh, again a span of a, a hundred years or, or more, um, where this incredible quantum supercomputing stuff it reminds me of you know like 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 Bitcoin and the sort of server farms and and the amount of energy that's consumed using all that power. I started to think about climate change and we think about you know energy concerns. What are, it's sort of suggested in the book in terms of different approaches, but I mean, what did you think about that in terms of this or how was it, was it solved or is it an issue or did it become sort of transposed into something else? I was curious about your, your thoughts about that and climate, energy use in here. Climate change. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah well, but by the end of the book, uh, in order to, um, handle the load, um, they're building, uh, server farms and solar power satellites in orbit. And um, um, they've basically uh, sort of bought in heavily to a kind of uh, geoengineering-based approach. So, um, you know, uh, uh, geoengineering is a, a controversial idea here and now, but for purposes of this book, I'm just saying that that's what they do. Well, and it also sounds like the population of the Earth is diminished, like it, it, right. the, the, to the point where uh, maybe that's also taking care of it, or, or people have people all become has it reduced the uh, have people all simulations or are people? It's it was an interesting question at the end, or is it just sort of a an energy load question? Um, <clears throat> yeah, the the population starts to to diminish, and um, there's a you know, description of a, a neighborhood, an urban neighborhood that's kind of slowly reverting back to, uh, to old growth yeah. forest just because, uh, uh, first there's, there's fewer people, but also, um, uh, you know, the, um, uh, 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 having a lot of trees around is, uh, is problematic in our current, <clears throat> uh, technological world because, they get in the way of trees and trucks and the roots churn up the pavement and so on. But if you think in terms of a, a different sort of uh, world where, um, where people are using, where robots walk instead of rolling on streets, uh, you know, maybe streets don't seem as important anymore. You can let the trees grow. Oh, you know, so once the robots walk, that's generally a bad sign for us. Yeah, that and opening true. doors. That's it. We're done with 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 humanity. I'm I'm interested in in throwing as a little bit of a almost a a tech startup whisperer in that everyone has been so influenced by by your work. What lessons do you think the people have wrongly taken from Snow Crash and other works, and, and and what do you wish they had taken instead? Um. Well, I think actually the best. Uh, 
thought that I've heard on this topic comes from Dana Boyd, who's a she's a, a researcher at, <clears throat> at Microsoft Research, and I was um, uh, exchanging some uh, email <clears throat> with her last week, and she made the point that uh, some people um, who started tech companies wanted to build the metaverse, which is to say a place where everyone could talk to each other and sort of meet on a virtual street, but uh, instead they built the, the Tower of Babel and created a situation in which people cannot communicate with each other. Um, so, uh, uh, you know, that's a thing I didn't see coming. And that, that also connects, that's definitely a through line in, in your, in the book and that something like that pops up. And I started to think about this book and what happens when I read a lot of your books, especially recent ones um, where they're big and, you know, I, I want to get through it fast, but they put me into a state of wanting to slow down and mm -hmm. um, they're very detail oriented. And, and it's, a, it's almost like a slow food movement of like in, yeah. in a very fast world. And yeah. we think of you as a, as that bleeding edge tech guy, but a lot of these, and that goes back to that span of time and here like old growth and, and these, these thoughts that slow down and look at trees and the beginning is about taking naps properly. And do, do you see that as being an essential thing right now where everybody is running around? Is that like, how do people relate to your, to your big books and how do you think about them? I was curious if that's a, if that's something that you're, you're kind of tackling in a way. Well, I think that um, <clears throat> there is a, a hunger uh, demand for immersive uh, entertainment, for, for a lot of stories with a lot of depth and breadth to them. And um, until recently, the only medium that could deliver that was novels. And now it's been joined by kind of quality long-form television series. Um, so, and both of those are very successful media, you know. I mean, um, <clears throat> uh, there's vast numbers of people, you know, reading books and watching Game of Thrones and similar shows. So uh, obviously there's a huge demand for it. Um, and, you know, that's in spite of kind of conventional wisdom that everyone wants quick, uh, superficial uh, engagement. Um, so um, so I, I guess, um, I guess my approach to writing embrace that, you know, to embrace the to own the superpower that books have of, of providing a big immersive world and to, uh, to, to uh, make the most of that and, uh, and give people what they want. That's one of the few things that I think gives me at least a speck of hope about, about the future is that despite all the predictions of the death of even the publishing industry, uh, it, it, it has not come to pass. And frankly, books are, are longer and bigger and better than, uh, you know, they than anyone thought they would be at this point in what what year are we in Scott 2019 I I forget at this yeah. point <laughs> the publishing industry is an ancient and wily beast um, and it has been through worse things than than this it's harder to kill than than uh, you might think yeah yeah well, and speaking of immersive entertainment which you uh, you know I think of in all directions with that and I'm sure people will think of it with this book and adaptations. Would you would you want people to speaking of the metaverse and people making that? Would you want a game world based on this, or would you want to see this be fleshed out in in a 
in a, in a bigger uh, immersive entertainment aspect? Yeah, there's. Uh, I have nothing against it. Certainly, um, you know, there's uh, been some interest uh, over time from uh, not from from game uh, creators, but from uh, television, movie studios. I've always got one or two of my book projects that's sort of uh, somewhere in the the development pipeline. Nothing has made it to the screen yet, um, but. Uh, you know, I'd certainly love to see some of these things uh, show up on screens of one kind or another. I think, you know, making uh, interactive um, game-like entertainment is is still uh, extraordinarily difficult, uh, an expensive and risky thing to do. Um, but this doesn't mean it shouldn't be tried. And I meant to ask one other thing before before. Uh I don't get a chance to talk to you again. I, I have a big question about this overarching universe, which I think a lot of fans of your work are going to be interested in too, and are that these share a lot of your books are sharing a uh, kind of a common world. The, um, uh, the system of the world trilogy, cryptonomicon reamed or Reem, is it? I never know. Reem D. Reem D. Uh, fall share, uh, Similar yes. families, the, the the you know you have the the, the shadows and you have Enoch Root, this character yeah. that shows up through through eons seemingly. Um, is that going to be an ongoing thing, or do you imagine this? Uh, is this part of a, a superstructure uh, cycle that you're writing? Uh, I like right now. I mean, never say never, but right now I would say it's a, a cycle that I have written. <laughs> like <laughs> I, I think I think we've kind of wound that up uh hmm. with this uh with this latest book and uh doesn't mean i'm going to stop writing yeah um but um uh i think this kind of ties together some of those threads in a way that uh uh that does what i wanted to do um and uh uh so for now we're done that's interesting. That's actually the savviest uh, uh, point that anybody makes in the entertainment or content or publishing business. Uh, uh, my my own agent uh, said to me, "Don't you know? It used to be you want to have a cinematic universe. Now you just need like a three hundred and sixty universe across all types of media, whether it's books or toys or chewing gum. Um, yeah, that 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 yeah. connective tissue somehow adds a tremendous amount of value in the eyes of uh, the bean counters." Yeah, yeah. Um... You know, this one so far is only on the printed page, but nothing wrong with that. The Stevenson verse. Yeah. I, I, I can see that uh, uh, getting some big movie posters and, and getting like a, a Marvel tie-in. Um, for reading or other suggestions, are there things that most excite you next? Or uh, I, I saw that you were inspired by the uh, book, the David Deutsch's The, the Fabric of Reality, which um, mm-hmm. I've not read, but I purchased just re- uh, just because of that. Um but I was just curious about directions that you're you're starting to think about now, even after uh, if if you feel okay talking about that for for next projects or ne- I mean, even just uh, things that suddenly are sparking your interest now that you say okay you know after this book or things you're working on future yeah. books that you like right now that other people are writing. Uh, well, you know, I've got ideas on what the next book might be. Um, yeah, you know, I've done some preliminary work on uh, a couple of. Ideas. So right now, the uh, uh, this process is pretty all-consuming. Um, but when things settle down a little bit in a month or two, 
is when I kind of sit back and take stock of the different ideas that are bouncing around and, and uh, make a decision as to where to go next. Well, um, I just want to thank you again for, for joining us here and talking about this. Um, Baller Dodger. Pleasure. Yeah. This book is available now. Uh, you don't have to read ReamD, but it's, it would be really nice and fun to do it. Uh, and also go back and read all the other books. And, um, I can't wait to follow what you're doing next and, and it's great to meet you and thank you very much for joining us, Neil. Yeah, thanks so much. It was much. fun, guys. It was great. And uh, enjoy the interview. And uh, I hope you got what you needed. Uh, this Most is fantastic. Definitely. I've been reading your work forever. So uh, it's, it's really awesome to talk to you about this. 